throw at them. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And today I'm talking to Stefan Wiedner, who is uh, an expert in psychological safety. Uh, and this is a subject I'm very passionate about, and I'm going to have trouble staying quiet and listening, but I shall do my very best. And um, But it'll be interesting to talk more about organisations today than we've done recently. So I'm looking forward to this. So hi, Stefan, how are you? Russell, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And I hope I hope you contribute as much as I do. I don't want to be the one doing all the talking here. I, I think we both know that is every likelihood of something happening. So, uh, and tell me, where are you in the world? So I'm located located in the Okanagan Valley, which is uh, about 300 kilometers east of Vancouver, Canada. So, yay, Canada. Woo! All right, steady. And you were telling me, actually, before we start, and I didn't know this at all, that your um, Canada is famous for being cold, but you've got vineyards and all sorts of things going on in your place, haven't you? That's right. I have the good fortune of living in a plateau but between two uh, mountains. There's the coastal mountains on the coast, which are west of us, and then east of us are the Rocky Mountains. And so this hot air shoots up from California and Mexico and Arizona. And, and so we have uh, plenty of hot weather in the summers, upwards of 40 degrees Celsius. And in fact, last year with the heat dome that we experienced here, I know you, you've had different timings of your heat domes. Um, we had a heat dome here where about 100 kilometers away, it reached 47 degrees Celsius. Wow. wow. That is something. And remember, we've been told heat domes don't exist. So just, you know, just just watch that. <laughs> ah, anyway, well, tell me a little bit about yourself before I, we continue our scurrilous conversation from, be, from, the, from, the, from the point before the light went red. <laughs> tell me a bit well, about uh, <laughs> Well, I think the most... Uh, pressing point I, I I want to share is from a personal standpoint where it happens to be beginning of September and so my kids are back in school so that's kind of a big yeah. deal and we're uh, we were longtime homeschoolers and this is the first year that both our kids they're both in high school now and they're both in school they're not at home and so this is a big change for us kind of a big deal yeah. and uh, my daughter she's uh, she's in her second week now of grade nine so my son's a couple years older than her so um, yeah, that's kind of what's uh, ringing true for me. I'm sure there's a lot of other parents on the uh, podcast listening, and but that's probably not why they're here. We want to talk about psychological safety and talk about leadership and organizations and so on. And uh, so my interest has spanned roughly 20 years where I've really been interested in psychology. I've been interested in technology and how to bring those two things together to help people uh, live more fulfilling lives, but also how to have teams and organizations be more sustainably effective over time. So that's really my area of interest uh, that I've been working in for the last 20 or so years. Interesting. Okay. Um, and of course, psychological safety is important in schools as well, isn't it? Just, just to say that for a second, because they are workplaces, aren't they, as well? So I think people forget. Well, absolutely. And, and psychological safety, what it is, is the ability for people to speak up. And of course, in educational institutions, uh, you want all sorts of opinions <laughs> to be spoken and shared so that there's debate and discussion. And that's how we expand our learning and our knowledge. Yes. And it's, 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 and it is interesting because we have an agenda at the moment today that is reportedly closing down speech, free speech, closing down the ability to debate, to disagree, uh, to protect us from ourselves almost. 
And that and psychological safety isn't about not talking about things. It's about being safe to talk in a way that's acceptable to everybody, isn't it? It's, and I think people often don't understand the difference. Yeah, well, maybe I should share the definition that I use, and it's uh, really being popularized by Amy Edmondson, who is a Harvard professor. Perhaps some of your listeners know of her and her work. She wrote the book, The Fearless Organization, which really is um, a great read on the topic. And her definition is that psychological safety is a belief that you can share ideas, concerns, mistakes, etc., within a work environment without the fear of reprimand. And that's, uh, you know, it's a subtle distinction and one that's really critical and important because it's happening all the time. We're constantly trying to manage our own reputations and we'll refrain from speaking up all the time because we don't want to look like we're going against the grain or we don't want to ask a stupid question and come across as stupid. So we're constantly protecting ourselves by withholding information. And that's that's really the antithesis of psychological safety is that withholding of information. Yes. And and one of the and one of the challenges here is the difference between explicit criticism uh, or and an inferred or implied um reprimand is the word you use, not criticism, but and that's one of the challenges, isn't it? Because you need resilient people and organizations who are able to have adult conversations where conflict creates the sort of diversity you need to get the energy of innovation flowing and so you know sometimes the organization takes the rap for actually having people that aren't resilient enough to have those sorts of conversations so it's a funny it's a it's tricky to square that circle in a way isn't it well what that has me think about these challenging conversations is is our desire to move towards politeness so often, if there is some sort of rupture, we'll call it within a team or where people don't necessarily agree, there's often this tension to just let's let's get to a polite place where it feels a little less uncomfortable. Yeah, being nice. But that yeah, that's right. Nice. And and we need to move not back to nice, but instead move to a place where we're able to generate fresh and new ideas and have discussions that move the organization, the team or a group of individuals to a new place, to new solutions, to new ways of doing things. Because ultimately that's what psychological safety is facilitating. It's facilitating learning within a group environment. And that's how we overcome any change in the world. Yeah, and it's built on respect really, isn't it? More than anything else. Well, that's certainly what our research is looking at um, and our area of focus, because we focus our work on interpersonal skills. What are the specific interpersonal skills that lead to psychological safety within a team? And so um, one of respect is, I would say, really high on the list and and maybe even before respect, but it's perhaps a close cousin is empathy and the desire or willingness, I would say. To put yourself in another person's shoes, right? To, yeah. to you need to start there to want to consider how other people are looking at the world and bring a certain level of curiosity. Uh, so, especially for a leader or manager, to want to do that is also a demonstration of respect, don't you think, Russell? I do. Yeah, I do. And um, and I think it's and I think it's I think respect is something we've forgotten how to do. 
because I think we focus so much on self-care, self-respect, self-organization, self-awareness, all those sorts of words. We've forgotten that ability that respect is earned, but respect can be can be earned, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if we've got such a me-centric culture these days that actually we've forgotten how to collaborate well. That's a good question. I mentioned at the beginning, I have a couple teenagers at home and of course they're on their devices all the time. And I wonder if that constant push for connection online with your friends is a totally different form of communication that perhaps you and I grew up with pre, you know, pre iPhone days. And I don't know how it's going to result. I don't know what immediate impact it's having on individuals, but I, I, I suspect there's a little bit of a layer of um, sort of false connection and a me centric, like we're always wanting what's in this for me, what's in this for me. Yeah. Um, that dopamine hit, I guess, of, yeah. of uh, connecting with people and just getting these little messages, but they're not necessarily really all that meaningful. And so I wonder if a lot of relationships are really rather tenuous. They're not built on a really solid foundation of respect or care. Maybe, uh, and, I, and I buy that, and I think I've got a vested interest in agreeing with you, but maybe the thing that we're both missing is that relationships are now new and they are virtual and they're not built on respect. They're actually built on transactions and they're built on sharing a mutual dopamine hit. Uh, in this, I, I, always, I always talk to people about the effect of working on Zoom and actually online dating is incredibly successful because it's online and you're much closer. I mean, if we were in the room together at the moment when our faces were this large, observing our micro expressions, and we were three inches away from each other in real life. And I just wonder if there's a new form of search, um, communication where we have to challenge ourselves, uh, certainly for me as an old, an old person, older person, that actually it's entirely possible that these new relationships are just new relationships. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, it was rare to use a phone. I mean, I would, we weren't banging two tins together or a couple of rocks or sending smoke signals or anything. But you know what I mean? The idea that we used to spend hours, when we got a phone call, hours talking on the phone. And that became a new way of having conversations, a new sort of approach. And I just wonder if today is, is just a channel. And, and I think the impact for business is quite challenging then because we've got many generations in an organisation whose definition of respect is actually very, very different. Because... Transactional respect in a gaming environment is very different from the sort of respect that we have at a sort of empathic level. Yeah, I think you bring up lots of great discussion points, Russell. And what I see is that um, we obviously have to embrace technology, right? Even if there are flaws to it, it's not going anywhere. So we need to just embrace it, use it, welcome it. And in fact, a lot of the training we do is all it's all online. It's yeah. all using Zoom meetings and, and uh, we simulate business meetings, which are two dimensional on your screen, right? It's a bunch of actors simulating various scenarios you might meet in a real life meeting with other individuals. And it's all, it's all recorded. And so that's just the new reality for so many workers yes. today. And, and you're right, there are benefits. Maybe there's some drawbacks, but there's also some benefits, like you said, being able to see facial expressions. And, and that is a big part of the training that we offer is 
having people be really attuned to the nonverbals, because I think it's particularly important when you're working in a virtual setting. Yeah. When you go into the office and you can meet people, you bump into them in the kitchen or in the hallway, et cetera, you can see that someone's perhaps walking a little bit slower on their way to the bathroom because yeah. something bad happened or their dog died or their mom is sick or whatever it is. And you can say something, whereas in a virtual setting, you don't see that. Yeah. And so there's all this uh, missed information or rather there's just information that you can't pick up on. And so you need to be particularly attuned to your people within this virtual or digital setting. And I think it's very easy for people when prompted by the question, such as, how are you doing? It's really easy to say, I'm doing fine. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. And and sometimes, and, and, and there's a sort of a training I've seen where they say, well, no, you have to keep asking the question until you sort of provoke a response, which is fine in itself. We all, as therapists, we all have, we all know what the mnemonic fine stands for. So it's, it's not something I can say online because it's naughty. Um, but, but coming back to the point, I think psychological safety is a very powerful thing, but people mistake it, don't they? It's it's sort of it's sort of maybe important to say what psychological safety isn't. Well, what psychological safety isn't? There's a couple things that come to mind. First of all, it's not agreeing. I think a lot of leaders and managers, when we say, "Hey, you need to be fostering psychological safety," you want to be getting other people's opinions, having them share what's going on for them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, and that has its positives and there's some drawbacks there. So I think a lot of leaders think by asking people's opinions, you have to agree with them. We don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Our definition for psychological safety is the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. So that's your job as a leader is to give people the confidence to know that when they're speaking up, they're heard. They have a seat at the table. They don't necessarily ha have um, uh, authority to make decisions you as the leader, you need to maybe make the call or make the decision, but you can leverage everybody's input. So that's the first thing. And what psychological safety is not is also um, what I think sometimes people think of psychological safety. They think it's uh, singing, singing songs and singing Kumbaya around the campfire kind of thing. And um, when you think about high performance teams, there is pressure there are high stakes. And so it doesn't always feel rosy. And when people are able to provide competing ideas, that can get uncomfortable. Yeah. And so psychological safety is not just this rosy place. It's, no. it's rigorous, it's fast moving, it's challenging, and it's growth and development and yeah. expansion on on what exists today i mean uh, it's, it's interesting uh, two themes spring to mind for me one which is i remember talking to a sales director colleague of mine well not colleagues client of mine who described to me the perfect team that he had worked in and he talked about this bunch of it was all men rambunctious men you know they used to go to house work hard party together they used to play together they used to have ideas they used to have fights disagreements sometimes physical fights you know sometimes um, all sorts of fights, uh, all, but everybody had a voice in that team. Everybody contributed to that team. It was a, of its time. So, you know, and I said, that sounds like you had sort of psychological safety going on. Oh, God, don't hit me with those terms. But actually, by every stretch of the imagination, it really was. And I think, and I think 
somehow the the term itself is not useful, isn't it? Because sometimes it just sounds a bit like yes, come by your example. So I think for me, it's all about an adult culture. It's all about treating people as adults, being expected to be treated as an adult, which means that you can say what needs to be said because no one's treating you like a child and patronizing you or overparented you in, in telling you off for ideas. So for me, it's we start or I start, you know, establishing this sort of adult contract between people. So I'm always interested in your first, you know, I'm interested in your starting position when you start this sort of work. Where, where do you begin? Well, I just want to add on to that point about how you treat one another, which it, which is very interesting in that um, in order to really be able to speak up your mind, uh, you need to be able to have that courage to speak up. And I'm a Canadian. And I think we're globally perhaps sometimes criticized for being apologetic. And so to be disagreeable, so to give someone critical feedback can be very challenging for, I know for myself, and I, yeah. I think many other leaders out there who tend to be a little bit higher on the agreeable scale. But you're not giving critical feedback. You're giving feedback. It's up to that person to decide if it's critical or not. Good point. Uh, my point is um, what it takes to have the words come out might feel challenging, right? It's, I want to say something. I, uh, It feels really disagreeable to say this thing. Um, and so that I think we have to flip that script. And it's not about being disagreeable. It's actually being respectful. Yes, to exactly. be able to say, hey, you know what, Jim, yeah. you did a great job and it's not good enough in this one specific way. And I think if you could improve in this area, the outcomes would be much better. Yes. That's respectful. It's saying it's giving that person the opportunity to improve, to hear those that that feedback and be able to action it. Yeah, you see, and, and there's a lot of myths about this. I mean, I work uh, internationally, and one of the, you know, people talk about Japan. You can't ever talk about Japan and and such like because of status. But actually, the feedback in Japan is absolutely bush in your face. And because the shame that comes from not hearing what needs to be done is so great that you actually need to hear it. So there's, and it, it is interesting when we, we talk about the different cultures in this, it's always the same thing. It's always the same idea that we need to have that respect to treat, to teach, to teach, get people to treat them like adults, because why wouldn't you? Because by saying, I'm not going to give you feedback, it's actually treating you like a child. And, True. And, I, and I see this all the time, you know, because I work in psychotherapy now as well. I see managers and leaders and business treating like staff like children. And you hear them talking about their kids and they treat their kids like adults. And there's this strange mismatch between these two areas. So I just wonder if that's something you've come across or you have a different approach. Oh, absolutely. We've come across that leaders who feel like they are babysitting kids at work. <laughs> they yeah. feel like that's their job. Yeah. And um I, I don't know how and, healthy that perspective is. Well, it's usually because, of course, you know, you get kids at work, you know, when you're treating them in a certain way, don't you? So, and and very, leaders very rarely, very rarely realize the correlation between the, the way that team performs on or it acts is is a direct correlation with the leader's actions. Well, and that's precisely what we're trying to uncover. We're starting a research project this month where we're looking at the interpersonal skills of leaders and psychological safety, the hypothesis, hypothesis being that those leaders who naturally possess these um, interpersonal skills 
will foster psychological safety, will yeah. foster an environment where people can be more adult-like, if you will, contributing, communicating in a way that that moves the organization forward. Mm-hmm. We're, we call them management facilitative interpersonal skills because these managers and leaders are facilitating outcomes within the team. And so those are the interpersonal skills that we are specifically looking at. And that's where we start all of our training. That was the question you asked earlier, where yeah. do we start? Where we start is by assessing leaders and managers in their interpersonal skills. Then throughout the code, rather the training, we can uh, improve those skills because we can identify them and we make them more tangible. Often interpersonal skills are broadly described as soft skills. I think that's a misnomer because they can be identified. They're a lot more hard than one might first think. And if they can be identified and if they can be assessed, then they can be improved and and measured. Exactly. And we can improve and measure those through the principles of deliberate practice. What we find so often when it comes to leadership, and you've probably come across this as well, Russell, and maybe not even just in leadership, we, we also see it in, in the psychotherapy and counseling fields, is that individuals think that, oh, well, I can get better as a leader by reading books and watching some YouTube videos or TED Talks or something like that. And if I said the same thing, hey, if you want to learn how to play the piano, just read a book or watch YouTube. There's some fascinating uh, players out there. Well, we all know fundamentally that that's not going to lead to better piano playing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, but there's there's an, <laughs> an active ingredient missing, which is spending time on the keyboard and specifically um, in a specific way you want to spend that time. And so we see, we're applying those same principles that are very commonplace in sports and in music, et cetera, in the field of leadership skills. Yeah. And people, yeah, I, I, I'm just so, I, I'm agreeing too much with you now, so we're going to have to move on. That. Um, tell me your website. Um, how can people get hold of you? Because it's got yeah, it's a great so, website. So tell me how people can read it. Yeah, the website is zarango.com, Z-A-R-A-N-G-O.com. And we also, I said we start by assessing people's individual skills, uh, their interpersonal skills, rather. The other thing we often do when an organization comes to us and they have a team that wants to improve, then we measure their psychological safety. That's the first thing. That's very easy to do. And so that's what we're offering Uh, listeners here today is to get a free psychological safety assessment for a team within your organization. And that's available at the URL forward slash free PSI. Uh, So it's zarango.com forward slash free PSI. That's great. Uh, I'm just having a look. Sorry. Um, I might have um, mistyped that. Um, Okay, great. Um, so you mentioned also the um, concept of doing the research. If I wanted to join in with that, uh, or if you wanted sort of feedback from people, how would they go about helping you with that? Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you're asking. Thank you so much. So as I said, the, the research study, what we're doing was measuring uh, psychological safety of a team and the interpersonal skills of a leader or manager of that team. And so if there are any volunteers that are out there that would like to have these two metrics measured, we are looking for some early uh, participants to validate the assessment. That's the first thing we need to do is we need to validate this assessment to make sure that it's discriminatory. We need to see scores that are high 
and low because if uh, everybody completes this uh, performance-based assessment and everybody gets a you know a B, that's not useful to us. We need to see some A pluses, some Bs, and some Cs. And what that performance-based assessment is is that we demonstrate videos of challenging moments in a team. They're little clips, about a minute each. And then using your webcam, you have to record a response, what you think is most appropriate given the situation. Mm -hmm. Then we measure your interpersonal skills. So we have trained coders who are looking for very specific skills and we evaluate those skills. And so uh, if anybody is interested in participating in our study, we would love to have that. The best way to get a hold of us is on the website, zarango.com. Again, go to the contact page um, and there's uh, there's ability to reach out to us there. Also on my LinkedIn profile, I'd be happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I know probably a lot of your listeners are active on LinkedIn. And um, and so perhaps on the notes for this uh, podcast, you can yeah. provide a URL for people, Russell. Absolutely. But uh, it, can, they, can they contact you directly on LinkedIn under your own name? Stephanie? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and the URL, it, my URL for yeah. LinkedIn is S. Wiedner. So my first initial and then my last name, Wiedner, W-I-E-D-N-E-R, S. Wiedner, W-I-E-D-N-E-R. Well, the trouble is you and I are both passionate advocates of psychological safety. And I think the one message I really want to, mm. to punch across is this idea that it's not soft, fluffy, nice to have. This is about, as you said, high performing teams. This is about the sharp edge of practice that generates performance so that's that's what i'm taking from this is there anything in particular that you want to ram home that's pretty good <laughs> i think when teams are experiencing high psychological safety it's a little bit like gripping the wheel around uh on a you know on a speeding car down the road and you're you're hitting those corners at high speeds and um so there's probably going to feel that energy that adrenaline and it's not always Kumbaya. Good. Uh, just remind me one more time that what was the address of that um, website, just in case anyone's forgotten. Yeah. Zarango.com. Z-A-R-A-N-G-O.com. Brilliant. Well, it's been a joy to talk to you today. And, um, I, you know, as someone in, who doesn't work just in psychological safety, you're obviously someone that clearly knows your onions. So it's been a joy to talk to you. And I've learned stacks as well. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Brilliant. You take care.